That's right. You are listening to Windsor's Inside Pulse for the latest news, views, and opinions in our great region of Windsor and Essex County. We remind you that the views and opinions expressed on this show or those of our co-hosts do not necessarily reflect the views of any media outlets or political parties or any organizations. We are recording on Tuesday, July 13th, approximately 5.30 p.m. Please remember to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. With that being said, my name is Al Tashuba, and I'm joined remotely with Daniel Lablisarand, Dave Sundin, and Christine Brooks. And I can tell you that one of the favorite things we like to do here at Windsor's Inside Pulse is to break news faster than the Windsor Star, faster than CTV, faster than AM800. Many times we get the news first from our inside sources, and I can tell you this breaking news uh, is yet to be released. There's going to be an official announcement on Friday. The public is slowly being told, but the Windsor West Conservative Party candidate, and everyone's expecting an election coming up shortly, is going to be Anthony Orlando. Anthony Orlando, remember that name. Uh, he is an entrepreneur, married into the Katz family, uh, very good family man, business guy, uh, very loyal, dedicated to Windsor, community conservative. We're going to be making a public announcement on Friday, press release being sent out, but it was made official uh, less than an hour ago um, from the Conservative Party. It's been in the works for many, many, many months, and uh, it is official now. So there's going to be more information on that. I'm sure we'll be talking elections uh, as things go. More news from the Conservative Party, this one here on an official government basis. We actually had the uh, Labour Minister, it is also the Minister of uh, Trade and Skills, uh, Training and Skills Development, Monty McNaughton, and uh, he came by Windsor, made a terrific announcement with uh, Mayor Dilkins as well, and this is about being able to streamline second career programs. It's going to boost compensation. Uh, Monty also joined us at uh, the, the, the Sandwich Teen Action Group with John Elliott afterwards and just was totally impressed with the grassroots level of John Elliott's stag, uh, the ability for teenagers to have the ability to go in, learn culinary, sports, get off the streets, learn training. So many terrific stories from uh, stag, sta Sandwich Teen Action Group. And uh, these are the type of things that the ministers are coming to Windsor, Windsor, Ontario, to make these announcements. Uh, there was actually a comment, without this program, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to continue my studies. And this is a person talking about the announcement for today. And uh, major changes are coming to the program intended to streamline the process and provide up to $500 a week uh, for living expenses. The idea being that you don't need to be, no offense, school teacher, lawyer, uh, have a great degree or letters after your name, you can be a plumber, you can be an electrician, you can follow up with skilled trades, you can have the skilled trades and the, the basic using your hands type of career and employment to have a terrific life, getting paid $40, $50 an hour. And this is the message. Gentlemen, what do you think? Ladies. Hey, great news that there's a uh... Uh, announcements coming and, and things happening in Windsor because it's seen as competitive. So this is, I, I think, you know, great news. Um, and uh, certainly the the economy um, after COVID is done, I think it's um, time to, to really make sure that we have um, people with the skills that we need going forward. I think it, anything there's a pandemic that when, you know, you need things done, um, there's a there's a complete lack of people to actually do the things that we need. Um, I know during the pandemic, I thought I'll use this time wisely. I'll, I'll renovate. I'll get things done. Um, 
but you know, there's no one to actually come and do the work. Um, no one knows how to. Uh, people either are unemployed, not working in the service industry, um, or professionals, but there's not the skilled trades that we need in, in the middle. So, hey, great, great announcement. I'm paying some of my renovators overtime hours as high as $50 an hour just to get the job done right. All right. And that, that's, you know, there's a value in that. And I've always thought they were underpaid $20, $25 an hour. They bring such skill to the table. They bring their own tools. They bring their own expertise. You know, they're responsible for the job they're doing. I got to tell you, skilled trades is, is one of the, uh, un, you know, there's such a high demand for skilled trades. Monty said that there was 100,000 jobs shortfall of skilled trades. So I don't think you need to go to school to study, be a school teacher and be on a waiting list where those aren't where the jobs are. You should really look at skill trade. Look where the jobs are and fill the gaps. Yeah, um, so first off, I guess, congratulations to Anthony Orlando. That is uh, certainly not a household name. So I guess the uh, the first challenge for him is going to be introducing himself to the community. But, uh, but it's good to hear that the uh, Conservatives now have a candidate. I guess of the three major parties, the Liberals are the... Uh, the last party to nominate. I think that there's been a lot of talk about Sandra Pupatello running again. So I think that we'll have to stay tuned to see if, uh, if indeed it's going to be, uh, be Sandra Pupatello again for the Liberals. But that's, uh, it's good to hear that the Conservatives have a candidate. Uh, and I look forward to hearing more about him. In terms of this labor program, I do think that this is good news. I think that this is where the focus should be. It should be on things like skilled trades rather than, you know, the what we were doing 20, 25 years ago, which is everybody should go to the university and get a uh, anthropology degree. I just, I don't think that that makes a lot of sense in, the, in this day and age. So I think that this is wise. You know, I think that there was some news earlier this week that Windsor had the highest unemployment rate, I believe, in the province. Now, a big part of that is, of course, because of the layoffs at Chrysler. So those are not sort of true unemployment. They're their weekly or bi-weekly unemployment. But look, there's a, there's jobs to be had in skilled trades. I think that what you guys are saying, which is it's impossible to get a contractor because uh, everybody's so busy, um, means that that's where the jobs are. And I absolutely think that the province should be moving money from paying people to go to university to get degrees that don't really translate into jobs into things that are skilled trades. So I think that this is wise. Christine? I, uh, I agree. I have to say congratulations to Anthony Orlando. And now the Conservative Party here in Windsor West uh, is ready to, uh, to hear the next news, which will be, you know, the setting of an election date, which will probably come uh, earlier than we, we think. So congratulations, and we will be ready. Um, I have to say that uh, the labor program is, is excellent. Uh, I think what we, we did, as I agree with Daniel, um, in the past, we've put a lot of emphasis on degrees. And uh, we know, uh, I think everyone knew in the 90s, uh, 80s, 90s, uh, and 2000 people with a lot of degrees that did not get jobs. And then there was an incredible frustration and, and so on. I think, I think really the thing is that um, people need to follow their, their comparative advantages. People have quality, you know, uh, qualities that they have advantages with. Um, I, I, I really needed to be an, an, a, a language teacher probably. I, I really would not have done very well in construction, um, but other people are very good at, uh, at their, and we have seen, especially during the pandemic, how important everyone is in a community and that uh, all 
the, tr the trades in particular have been uh, extremely important recently because of our uh, shortage in uh, our, our housing shortage. But really, there, in, in French, there is an author who said, il n'y a pas de, de so travail, you know, there is no, no job that is silly. If uh, there, we, we need everyone in our, in our society. Uh, so uh, that's a, a very big boost and a, certainly also a very important thing. Very recently, Chris Lewis, I had the chance to hear Chris Lewis speak, and uh, he said it so very brilliantly that um, people need to work. People need to work. Uh, the increased mental um, fragility of our community holds really in, in part on the fact that we have so much unemployment, so much underemployment, so much frustration and sadness linked to uh, not seeing people and not doing things. And uh, this is, is unhealthy and the mental health issues associated uh, directly with the lack of jobs is huge. And we have, had a, a, we have uh, taken a huge toll here in our area. And so that we are putting the emphasis on that is very important. Well, I can tell you the uh, the job aspects of our second biggest industry, which is Caesars Windsor, is something that's been talked about for over a year. They did try it on a very small interim basis when there was that 50 person capacity that allowed people and they're like, can't we block it off into rooms and they let people in? They were losing money with they're more staffed and people coming in, but at least it showed that they can get things working. That didn't last very long. Indoor items, uh, indoor abilities closed down and they just left it closed, but it is going to reopen in phases. And this is the announcement right now. On July 23rd, uh, the Windsor Star article here on uh, CTV talks about Gamblers will be allowed to re-enter as of 10 a.m. on July 23rd, but will face capacity restrictions. So they're looking at pretty well some small food areas, uh, obviously the slot machines, they love making money on the slots. Table games are coming on next phase for the 28th, and it requires regulatory approval. I think it's step by step. I don't think people are gonna consider Caesars open until the concerts come in, until you're able to go to the buffet, until you're able to play poker, until you're able to kind of feel without it being restrictive. Right now, Caesar, uh, uh, in Vegas, they're wide open, no masks, no nothing, just it's like it's regular. Um, hopefully we get there in a few more months as the vaccinations come in at a higher rate, as things start to progress, as things get to the next phases of reopening. But our second biggest industry, the gaming industry, uh, starting to open again on July 23rd, that's good news. We need that border open as well. And it should be step-by-step. Step. We gotta put COVID behind us. Dave. That, that's the problem with um, Caesars reopening is uh, it, it's, it's um, kind of uh, empty. Uh, an empty promise of reopening if the border is not open because where, where do the bulk of the clients come from? It's, it's not from uh, the Windsor area. It's from either elsewhere in Ontario or it's from uh, Michigan or, or further afield. Um, my only concern with what's gone on in the past year for Caesars is what does it do this to Windsor in the eyes of um, Caesars executives who, who have reopened elsewhere quite quickly, dealt with the pandemic elsewhere quite quickly, kept making money where they've got a, um, a shuttered uh, operation in Windsor for, for well over a year now, other than that very brief and very limited reopening October, November of last year. Um, so, so, you know, I, I think 
the Caesars execs already were not happy with the Windsor location overall. It's the only unionized um, locale um, that they have. Uh, it seems to be the constant source of their problems. Um, and I'm just worried about this long term. You know, regardless, the, the, the province still owns it. It's just uh, licensed with Caesars. But it, it's certainly a big boon having that Caesars name because of the acts that it brings and, and uh, the fact that it does um, bring people into the casino because they want to see these big acts. So uh, hopefully, I'm not disagreeing with you. Reopen, I think you're totally right. Normal and mm -hmm. and get the show back on so that's quickly a distant memory for for those who make the decisions. Dave, you're you're 100 right. The Caesars name carries the big acts, and they're all tied in within the network of Caesars and the Caesar family. I totally agree with you, but I don't. I don't think anybody expected for everything to be open all in one shot. I think the main goal has got to be September. That is when single sports betting, now legal, passed the Senate. That's when they're going to start uh, being able to bet on the NFL and regular season games. I think this is just baby steps. So if it means opening on July 23rd in one phase and then opening July 28th in another phase and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, this is just a buildup. Don't forget the workers have also been off work for a year. They got to remember how to deal. They got to get practice. They got a new system. I heard there's some remodeling that went on as well, different positionings of things. I'm okay with a, a six to seven week uh, transition period as long as come September, it is virtually at full capacity, border open, single sports betting, everything ready to go. I mean, that, that's gotta be the, the end result, okay? Like opening in phase is fine, but there better be like 100% full capacity on the very near horizon. Yeah, so just a couple of points. I thought that I heard a year or so ago that the Caesars branding deal was up for renewal in like a year or two from now. I'm not sure if anybody, Dave, do you know what that date is? Do you remember that? I'm trying to find it now, but but I seem to recall as well that it was not much longer before, you know, it was up for renewal. And I'm just curious as to whether or not Caesars wants the, uh, if they see a benefit to keeping Windsor location. Yeah, so I think that's going to be a story that we're going to be watching in the next year as to whether or not Caesars wants to continue in this branding arrangement with the uh, with with the OLG. In terms of Caesars reopening, I think that this is good news. I think I'm maybe a little bit more cautious than you guys. I mean, the plan here is to reopen at 50% capacity. That's a pretty big number. Like, I suspect that's basically full up other than maybe, you know, hot nights in a, uh, you know, Friday, Saturday nights. So that's a pretty big number. I think maybe that's where we should be as of July 23rd, but I would have liked to see maybe an earlier phase in where we start at, you know, 15%, then 25% and to try to hit this 50%. I think that the other thing is, I mean, it sounds like we're not talking at all about any type of a vaccine requirement. And I mean, where I lie, and I think that you guys don't agree with me on this, or maybe Al, you don't agree with me on this. You know, I'd like to say, you know, at the starting point, show, you know, show proof of a vaccine to come in and, and, and gamble there. I, I know that, I know that's not popular, but I, I think that like, we got to keep people healthy. We are not over this yet. And, and I'm really concerned about, you know, I think that the best protection is the vaccine. Well, um, great. Go, go vaccinate and then you're protected. It shouldn't matter if someone else has COVID. If someone's vaccinated and they, they feel protected, then it shouldn't matter if someone else is not. It really shouldn't matter. Only way we're going, the only way we are going to knock this thing off the planet entirely is if we have pretty much everybody vaccinated. The problem with this, I mean, we know, or what we think we know, the problem is that the vaccines are, of course, new. But, of course, the vaccine wears off in, in its effectiveness over time. 
people are going to need booster shots eventually. Not yet. The way that we eradicate this off the planet is it's not effect, it's not impacting anyone at any time and then it's gone. And as long as we have vaccine hesitancy where people, the 30% of the population that is not vaccinated are running around doing everything, we're going to continue to, uh, in, in, uh, to uh, impact the non-vaccinated. And then as, it, as the effective, effective, effectivity wears off in the vaccinated, they're gonna start getting sick again. So we need to get everybody vaccinated. So what's, I, what's your magic number for herd immunity? Is it 73, 83, 80? What, what's your, cause I, I saw mathematics on this, on the way viruses spread, assuming vaccinations are only 90% effective and the magic number is 73%. If 73%, that's why you got the Ontario government hitting up these scales. At 73%, even if the virus is rampant among the people who aren't vaccinated, it still will eventually die off. Does that 73%, is that based on an assumption that the 73% that are vaccinated are perfectly- No, just, not, just 90% is good enough because you, you don't have the doubling. There's a mathematics behind it of statistics that, that spread. And then the people who do get it, they become immune on the next one. So it's almost like they're either gonna die or they're going to be immune because they beat it by building up immune. So it's like that's getting their vaccine. So eventually it will die off. Yeah, and look, I guess, look, this is, I acknowledge this is a new thing that we really have not dealt with. I wish I, I, wish I knew the answer to this. Frankly, I don't think that the experts know the answer to this. I think but, that, yeah. But, but I, I, and look, I think ultimately, what I expect that we're going to hear with the border in the next little bit is that the reopening for Americans is going to be contingent on being vaccinated. And frankly, that'll do a lot of the job for the casino. That will ensure that the Americans that are coming to the casino are vaccinated. And maybe then that solves part of the problem. But in any event, Christine? Yes, well, what's interesting is that the casino is still requiring people to register prior to entering the casino. And this is really a very good protection because it means that you can do the tracking and um, you know you can do the guest uh, locating in case there is a, a, a COVID, an incidence of COVID. And then you know who was there on that day and who was uh, close in proximity and needs to to follow up and you could then uh, quarantine etc Woo! there you go you've got your card already and you're ready to go aren't you I, I think this is the best registration you swipe your your platinum card of caesars okay you go in they'll know exactly where you are that's all well, if there is something they can right away uh locate and uh and uh, contact so in that sense uh also i really liked what the, they said including uh uh, this is uh, here that, in fact, Kevin Laffert, the Caesars Windsor's president, explained that they they have all kinds of uh, 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 measures in place, really, uh, in order to keep, you know, they have enhanced uh, cleaning, sanitation uh, uh, sites, they have uh, uh, distancing. So there's a lot going on. Now, really, the real question is, will it be there? in the long term? Will we continue to have, or has this really stretched uh, the casino to the max? Will we be, uh, I mean, I think Windsor wants the casino. I know that there's a whole problem as well with the employees. Are they still there or have they gone to other jobs? So all of those are questions that I think the next few weeks and let's hope within the next six weeks, those uh, questions will be resolved. Well, let me add, 
the other big question of how Caesars is going to function is how are they going to function their marketplace buffet? Right now, or in the past, people would just be able to grab their own handles and take their own food without washing their hands and spreading germs. And even prior to COVID, they always said that's the biggest place to get germs. And they used to have the hand sanitizer. That I think is gone for a long time. I think the staff now will have to give you the items and you just point to it and they'll give it kind of like a, you know, a cafeteria style. I, I think that's the big thing. But in the article, uh, Kevin Lafferett does talk about health and safety for our guests and team members remain our top priority. So they're going to look at everything as far as procedure. Daniel? I think that there are any number of health reasons that getting rid of the buffet for a while probably is not a bad thing. But I do. Christine mentioned the issue of uh, getting employees back. And, and I think, you know, we have not seen this as much in Canada. But I know when I was over in Detroit, uh, in the metro Detroit area a week ago, I went to a mall and I was shocked. Every single store has help wanted signs in the window. And frankly, a lot of stores are actually cutting back their hours. The malls have cut back their hours to 11 to 7 so that it's one shift because they cannot find employees. And, you know, I think that that's a number of reasons in terms of government benefits that are available to people, childcare obligations, people being so right now, the when we restart up the economy, it's going to be a mess for a while because we've got an employment shortage and there's going to be a uh, it's going to be that's going to be a story that's going to be interesting to watch over the next six months. Yes, and in fact, you mentioned a lot of good reasons there, including uh, the benefits and, and, and the daycares, etc. Et but then another story I heard uh, uh, just from the States it included that people had taken advantage of taking courses and upgrading themselves and were really resisting going back to the um, uh, low wage earning jobs. And that in fact, many retails uh, um, jobs had had to uh, increase the, the wages quite a bit in the States, and even so were unable to get uh, to attract uh, labor as they wanted. So this is big. Well, that actually segues that. nicely into our next story, post-COVID spending and production. So a couple of stories here. There is a story uh, that measured spending around Canada Day, um, and there were all sorts of records set and uh, jumps in spending around Canada Day. And also, we know that we still have the, uh, you know, shortages in vehicles that tie to the microchip shortage, but also because people have more disposable income to spend. So I wanted to touch on that story real quick. This is going to be a story to watch in terms of how the economy is changed because of COVID as we come out of it. Um, I think we've already touched on this sort of employment and re-employment and people upgrading their skills and wanting better jobs. And I think that that is good. But I think that we're also going to see I think that we're going to see mass inflation in the uh, in the coming years. And that's going to be a story to watch. So uh, so any any comments on where we're at with spending and production or shall we move on to our next story? D uh, Dave, any thoughts there? Well, spe speaking about um, local boosts to the economy, and I think I think. Um, we see that now with government lar largesse that's uh, worked its way through the economy. We see it with Caesar's Windsor reopening, people getting back to work there. But if you were down at uh, Via Italia um, this this past weekend, there was a lot of spending going on there. I had the uh, the pleasure of being invited to someone's table on Mezzo, um, and there was a lot of alcohol being purchased, a lot of food being purchased, um, very little in the way of people following COVID restrictions. Uh, it was basically a free for all. 
um, but a, a party was had by all. I am I am not a, a soccer fan. I was a bit uh, confused by what was going on the past uh, month or so with uh, soccer, um, but I certainly got a taste for it um, on Sunday. Uh, it was one heck of a party on Via Italia, and the underdogs uh, came in and won. Uh, came up and won, uh, and I missed Daniel, I think, by 15 or 20 minutes, but I left right after the game uh, had ended, and the celebration was just really beginning, and Daniel showed up shortly after that. So, so Daniel, your thoughts on on Via Italia and, and um, the, the heart of Little Italy in Windsor? Yeah, we, mi we missed each other because I was watching at an Italian friend's house, and then I had to go home to take my England jersey off before I went down to, uh, to Erie Street. So, and then, so I got down to Erie Street maybe uh, 45 minutes to an hour after the game, and it was wild. It, it was a really cool scene. It was, you know, I, I've, been, I've been in Europe during Euro Cup and see some of the fan zones there, and, and it's a blast. And this was sort of the closest thing I've ever seen to that, other than maybe like the, uh, the Raptors uh, Jurassic Park that we had going on. Um, I actually think that there were more people on Erie Street for this than there were for the Jurassic Park. So really, really cool event. I agree, though. Uh, there, there was not much. It's going to be interesting to see what, if any, uh, COVID metastasizes out of what was going on there. It, you know, it, it is notable that, you know, the police were on both ends of it. They didn't seem to have any issues. I know that there was some complaints, and I think rightful complaints, uh, in the media a few days ago that some of the uh, Palestinian protests were getting ticketed, and the you know the there was certainly no social distancing at Erie Street. But uh, but I think that it was uh, it was a fun event. You know, frankly, it was after 16 months being cooped up. I think everybody wanted this. Uh, wanted this and so congratulations to the Italians on their big victory uh, and on that note we'll go to our resident Italian Al any any thoughts on uh, on, on this big uh, victory I'm in touch with my buddy Alvisio I saw England was up one nothing and then I bet on Italy I was like oh they're gonna come back but I took them in regulation time so then I, I lost that one and I had to go in and bet them on the overtime which I got um man they had they scored anyways at the end of the day, this reminds me when Italy won the cup before I knew it, you know, Erie Street was going to be great. I was working on a deal so I couldn't join the full celebrations. But uh, yeah, I mean, this was a rebuild team that is coming along. So uh, Viva Italia. Very happy. Moving from the winner to the number one ranked team that was knocked out, I believe, in the quarterfinals. Uh, Chris, Christine, uh, your thoughts on the Euro Cup where uh, Belgium, I believe, was knocked out a couple rounds ago? Yes, it was one of the favorites and it was uh, knocked out quite early on as they had lost two of their uh, team members to Portugal. I have to say Italy did uh, very, very well all along, and but uh, the t two teams were so close. I, I have to say I don't like watch, seeing a, a whole cup go to, uh, to the shootout. I think that's, uh, uh, you know, very hard. Evidently, though, uh, the Italians, they, they have systematically always shown that they know how to do the uh, the shootouts very, very well. They seem to always win on the shootouts. Um, anyways, it was brilliant. It was, it, it was a really good game. And to see life on Erie Street again that way is just exciting. And I know people have been wanting this kind of event for a long, long time. What it means, well, there will be probably a bit of a fallout. Today, only one. Today, we are Tuesday. Um, uh, July 13th, and there's only one case that has been reported today, a new case of COVID, which is really incredible. And uh, let's hope it doesn't, uh, you know, materialize it. And we're very, very low. Ottawa had zero today. So we're really doing very well. And um, 
it was just exciting. It was very nice to see this. So, so Christine, why don't you take us into our last story before the break about uh, some local arts news? Yes, this is really, uh, it has to do with Italian roots again. And uh, we have here locally, um, uh, well, locally, is she is uh, originally from Windsor. Uh, this is a person who um, is a director uh, and um, a film character art director and animation sketch artist. And uh, she, her name is Diana Marciguiese. And uh, she has, uh, she has uh, worked on a, uh, her first, she has a, a, a key role in the first full length Disney movie set. And, and it is set in Italy. Uh, it is called Luca. And uh, to her, it means everything to her, she says. It was able to tap into, uh, she was able to tap into her own roots. Um, she's extremely excited because um, she is actually uh, a first generation Italian Canadian. And uh, she says that uh, the look of the characters was inspired by many things, but including her own family. Her own grandparents are really featured in, the, in, the, in this uh, uh, film. Uh, she's 38 years old and she even has a character that is named after her, which has really, really impressed her. It's called Signora Marsigliese. And uh, it just blows her away every time she hears the, the character's name. Um, I can't wait to see it. And what's really nice is that we're looking to, to having the local theaters uh, coming back. And this is a Gord um, Bacon who uh, explained it in iHeartRadio that uh, in fact, uh, Lakeshore Cinemas are, are gearing up to open up as well. So in the short, in the near future, hopefully we'll see this locally, um, this film that has a, a local component and local um, artist that had, has worked on it. She has worked for Pixar for quite a while. Yeah, we, we rented the movie online last week. It's available to rent and uh, excellent movie. And I didn't know about the Windsor Connection until after we, we saw it. Just we saw a new movie and we have a toddler to amuse. So it, it seemed like a great idea. So um, get out there when, when theaters open and watch it there or watch it at home, but, but preferably go out and support the local theaters who are going to be struggling as they, they come out of this. Yeah, very exciting uh, local news. So, uh, so congrats to them. And uh, with that said, we're going to take our break. We'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back to the second half of Windsor's Inside Pulse. So uh, a bit of a, um, a public service announcement, I guess, at this point. Uh, this is, uh, you know, a long-running uh, news story, sad news story in, in Windsor, Essex. Um, but it, it's it's taken a uh, on a new tone because, uh, according to the Windsor Star, um, there's been a new alert uh, issued by the health unit over high number of fentanyl-related overdoses. So apparently uh, in the week from June 14 to 20th, um, that uh, there's a there's a monitoring system in place by the health unit, and they noticed a, a big spike in uh, ER visits related to fentanyl. There was 19 overdoses in, seven, in that seven day period, and 30 substance related uh, visits to the ER. So um, that the health unit's been monitoring this. It's been an ongoing problem, and it's only seemed to be compounded by um, the realities of living through a pandemic and and people suffering and turning to um, substances. So that that's the the one part of the story. The other part is that it seems like the police and, and prosecutors are getting serious about fentanyl and the dangers it causes. So uh, another related story in the Windsor Star, uh, July 12th by uh, Chris Thompson, 
man who supplied fentanyl to overdose victim charged with manslaughter. And so there's been a charge laid uh, regarding a, a fentanyl overdose uh, that resulted in a death. And uh, glad to see that the um, it's taken a lot more seriously now um, and, and that people who are overdosing are victims of, of the actual uh, suppliers of these drugs, which are known to be dangerous. So um, Christine, why don't you tell us your thoughts on, on what's going on with these uh, fentanyl issues first? Yes, well, I'm, I'm really happy to see that uh, a, a very serious action is being taken uh, against, uh, you know, people who are uh, pushing these drugs and, and uh, uh, then that have such drastic consequences. Um, it was interesting to note that um, according to uh, the alert statement, the numbers, which were 30 substance-related visits to the emergency department and 19 overdoses over that seven-day period, do not meet our standard thresholds for an alert. In other words, the, the threshold is even higher. However, the, the alert was being issued nonetheless because there had been a significant increase in the numbers of fentanyl-related ED visits during that time period, including seven fentanyl overdoses and 12 non-overdoses. So it was really the fact that it was one particular uh, type of opioid that was, and it is a synthetic opioid fentanyl that was, that had caused the uh, two men uh, to overdose, one of them fatally, and for which a 35-year-old Windsor man was going to, um, is, is being uh, held responsible or is being, um, yes. So the, the whole point is that it is really important to have that message out there that if you are selling these things, you are, and, and, and causing uh, this kind of uh, reactions, uh, terrible things, uh, that you will be pursued by, the, by the, the criminal system. And I think that's very, very important because the numbers are, are horrific. I don't think there's anyone in, in this city anymore who doesn't know a young person in their 20s or 30s that has, uh, that has uh, lost their life uh, on account of some kind of um, drug-related event. So this is really uh, catastrophic. I had never heard of that in previous decades. So this is really catastrophic. Yeah, certainly we have some uh, some awful fentanyl news in the community, and it's certainly only gotten worse over uh, during COVID. So you know, I am I am happy to see that the uh, the people who are dealing are getting punished appropriately. Um, I think that that's important. It is a it is a challenge that we are going to continue to have to deal with. Uh, it does, unfortunately, flow nicely into our next story, which is the big city hall news story of the week. So this is a uh, this is a report coming to city council this upcoming Monday. Windsor Star article: City poised to tackle homelessness with new emergency shelter housing hub. So this is, and we've had Ron Dunn on the show a number of times, and frankly, I've said, you know, one of the reasons we need to support the mission is because otherwise we're going to have to do it, you know, publicly with the city running it. And so the city is, after the experience that they had with COVID, um, the city is looking to, I guess, somewhat get into the business of operating uh, homeless shelters. And so this is the first step in basically looking to build a city-owned uh, homeless shelter. Now they would be looking to have a third party operate the shelter, um, but this is the first step. They want to basically have a plan ready to go so that 
when there is provincial or federal money available to fund it with capital dollars, the city is basically shovel ready to build this. Now, this is very new. Of course, it would require a plan, a location. Uh, this is just the start of this process, but that is what is coming to city council on Monday. Uh, one of the things that I think is very important and exciting about this is that this is will focus on what they call wraparound services. And wraparound services are the concept of not just here is a bed and here is food and go do what you want during the day, but here's how we're going to try to transition you to permanent housing. If you need, you know, if you have addiction problems, here's how we're going to focus on addiction treatment. If you, you know, need, I guess, workplace training, it will tie into that. So the hub concept is to tie in those wraparound services. And I think that that is what is critically important to this. It's that we're not just simply here is a bed and food. And if you want to go out and get high during the day, go out and get high during the day. But it's here's the services to try to put you on track to be a, uh, you know, to, to get your life back in order. So that's what's coming to City Hall. Of course, this is just the start. Um, and it's basically asking council for direction to move down this path. Dave, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm glad to see the city stepping into um, this breach. It's um, you know, unfortunate that that um, you, you know the, the city has to take this on, but but who else is going to do it, right? We've seen the downtown mission, we've seen Salvation Army both struggle to keep up with the demand. They they simply can't seem to do it. I'm glad to see that the city is going to um, hire a third party manager to to manage this. Um, now that the city's involved, though, I'd like to see something as far as um, tracking um, numbers as to the success story. Because the one problem we've always had with the, the Mission of Salvation Army, I applaud them for the work they do, but are they actually doing the job of getting people into a shelter and eventually transitioning them to, um, to, to permanent housing, um, to employment, to um, the proper government supports they need to, to, um, to live without having to use a shelter? And, and it's not clear as to whether or not the, the mission or, or the Salvation Army or other service providers are actually doing that. So if the city can provide this in a holistic way um, and then track it in some manner to say, hey, listen, we've spent X number of dollars this year on, on these services, but here's the success stories. 10 people who otherwise would have been chronically homeless and relying on things now have jobs, now have apartments. I think that that's a story that taxpayers say, you know what, then this is, this is money well spent. Um, it's not just um, a Band-Aid, it's actually a solution to the problem. That's what I want to see happen, because we've been talking about homelessness in the city now for um, a great number of years since I've been involved with, with um, living in the city and, and talking about local politics. It's been one of the top three or four concerns is the homelessness, especially in the downtown core. Um, and we've got a lot of Band-Aids, um, but I'm not sure if we've got any, any real solutions. So this might finally be a solution to move us in the, the right direction. Um, Christine, your thoughts? Yes, well, I think uh, wraparound services is really a, a very important uh, element of all this, I think, because uh, in, indeed, um, there are reasons and there are a multiple, a number of reasons known why people end up homeless. And um, at that point, uh, you know, that the, there are serv if services become available to them to deal with whatever problems that they have, whether it be addiction or other, um, they they can hope to then, as uh, as Daniel and Dave said, uh, bring their their um, lives back on track, if you will. Um, you know, dealing with whatever issues have have been impeding them from from being able to um, 
get shelter, first of all. Uh, so yes, a very good uh, good news story, I think. Homelessness, according to, well, in the article, uh, Brian Cross article, Debbie Sircone, I think that's how you pronounce it, is um, uh, quoted as saying that homelessness is clearly on the rise. And um, uh, there are today 345 households who are homeless, 5,500 names on a wait list for affordable housing. These, are, these numbers are an all-time high. So I'm, I'm pleased to see that the, the city of Windsor is actively um, partnering to, to um, do something about it. Um, as uh, Ron Dunn had said on our show, there are over 700 people homeless really walking around the streets in downtown Windsor. And I think uh, it was, it was uh, needed to get help. Yes. I want to give a shout out to Ron Dunn. Um, uh, interesting uh, little personal tidbit here. I ordered from uh, El Mayor over the weekend through Jubsy, uh, which donates a, a portion of uh, the proceeds directly to the downtown mission. I didn't realize or appreciate to knock on my door with the delivery that Ron Dunn and a, a whole host of volunteers on behalf of the mission actually deliver that food. So Ron Dunn personally delivered uh, a meal to me uh, on a weekend. Um, you know, he's out on a weekend delivering food so he can get two, three, four dollars per meal he delivers to those that need it most. So I just wanted to say a, a special shout out to Ron Dunn saying, uh, impressed to see you working on Saturdays and Sundays, what should be your free time with family out there um, doing the hard work no one else seems to want to do. So, uh, so thanks, Ron. Ron, next time you deliver Dave's food, you better spit in it for us. I think he did, but it's fine. It was still delicious to tell Mayor. Al, uh, your thoughts on this story? Uh, obviously, we have a homeless problem and 700 people. I mean, Ron Dunn was on the show. He's a champion for our city. I think I want to see a little bit more of a balance between private sector and public sector to solve this problem. I think we need to open up the ability to build more units and have more supply out there on the market and in the meantime offer funding for some of the homeless to be qualified or sign guarantees to the landlords for them to move in and that will be a much faster solution in the interim before some of this uh, public housing can, can even be built so we may need to look at some transitional solutions as well. And so with that said, Al, why don't you take us into our last story of the evening? So the Gordie Howe International Crossing, 1,000 days of construction. Um, if you look at what's going on, they've got the giant pillars. They have the specialists for those. And the big news out of it is they believe they're still on pace for 2024. And they are talking that the next phase is 2,500 workers. Can you imagine 2,500 workers with outstanding paying jobs? I imagine half of them will be Windsorites and half of them will be from outside of Windsor. Now, when there's a thousand people coming to your city to live, that may not make a big deal in Toronto because they're a multi-million population city, but Windsor still being a 10th of Toronto size population wise, a thousand people coming in, that means a thousand more units, a thousand more shoppers at the local restaurants and convenience stores and retail stores. This is a very significant impact. This is the trickle down effect. When we talk about a two to $5 billion project that was announced by the Harper government for the Gordie Howe International Crossing, this is the type of funding which Brian Massey voted against in the budget. 
This is the type of funding that trickles down all the way through and gives the repercussions all the way. Uh, now, I wasn't a big fan of only having $10 million for Sandwich Town for the Community Development Fund. I thought it probably should have been closer to 50. But the real impact is going to be when these people come in and live near Sandwich Town and spend their money near Sandwich Town for a couple of years until the build, the crossing is done. And hopefully there'll be other projects that we keep this skilled labor or even better that they never go back to where they were. They actually love Windsor, they love Sandwich Town and they decide to stay here and we can improve our population with good paying uh, uh, skilled tradespeople uh, that are building our bridge and they become new Windsorites. That's the overall intrinsic trickle-down effect of a great big project. Well, well, you heard it here from Al, trickle-down trickle Reagan economics works as long as it's a $6 billion public sector project. Dave? And as long as they stay in Windsor after the fact and we have more projects to sustain such, sure. Okay, so 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 two, two comments uh, to that, Al. One, um, I, I agree with you that the influx of workers is, is going to um, help Windsor. It's going to hurt Windsor too. It's it, there's going to be pros and cons, and and the con is going to be initially when this flood of workers comes in and uh, they're looking for hotel rooms or they're looking for apartments to rent. It's going to drive up prices um, for local Windsorites who don't have these great paying bridge jobs and who are going to maybe be looking at homelessness as as the only option if they can't afford rent. So there's my con my concern there. Um, I think it's a great boon for the hotel operators, though, um, and you know it's going to maybe, maybe uh, scare away tourists who can't find a hotel room. But otherwise, it's a great deal for for hotel operators. You can get long term rentals out of this, um, you know, especially after having two years with basically um, no no rooms rented unless you're one of the COVID hotels. Um, so it's it's a great thing for them. But then second, more importantly, Al, I want to know what uh, you know if there's a betway bet uh, as to what year this is going to be completed. And whether or not we can get on this action. Well, the if you see the video, the the top contractor there says the plan is still to be on pace 2024. Now we all know that there could be lawsuits and there could be delays and there could be all kinds of things that stop that are don't necessarily deal with the construction plan, but deal with the politics of it and the lawsuit side of it. We'll see what happens. I'm hoping it's full steam ahead. Don't forget this project already was delayed by three years unnecessarily in 2015. We didn't need that. But, you know, this we're talking about a generational, a couple of generational projects like this. This bridge can last 200 years. So it needs to so be- Al, Al, are you saying that we can't afford a, a change in the federal government while this project is ongoing? No, if we want me to be crystal clear, it was the Liberal government that actually delayed it by three years. I was trying to be nice to Dave by not mentioning, but now that I must, okay? So Harper had even elected in 2015 and would have kept going, okay? But don't forget, the first announcement was, let's delay the bridge three years. Okay, that wasn't my idea. But thank goodness now there's a thousand days of construction under, under the belt, and the plan is in place. You know, obviously, there could be lawsuits from we know who, and uh, let, let's just keep things going. Christine, your thoughts? I just don't think that it's going to have a, a negative, uh, the negative um, uh, effects that uh, Dave fears. Uh, right now, about 500 workers have been working nonstop over those five, uh, thousand days already, uh, at times a bit more. They are apparently going to be American as well as Canadian. I'm sure there are an, enough unemployed who are, are suitable for these jobs. I don't think they are necessarily going to be flown in from various corners of the world. 
I think they're going to be more um, regional workers from uh, the states and, 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 and Canada. And that, you know, there are, they already are in our area. Uh, 2,500 is kind of the outside uh, mark anyways. And if 500 are already working and we're talking about about 1,000 Canadian and 1,000 American, we're not, we're not going to see necessarily a flood of people coming in and, and, and renting out, um, uh, um, you know, rooms in hotels. So in fact, uh, what I, I would expect is that you would just see a nice um, increase in employment and uh, 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 dynamic spending that will generate, as, as Al said, uh, spin-offs uh, in various sectors of the economy that really need it right now and that have been uh, kind of at a standstill for quite a while. So I, I'm I'm quite optimistic, and I I would say again uh, the date the date um, I think there there may in this particular project have been stipulations for the end date as well, um, but in in view of the fact that we had a pandemic, um, it would be understandable that it might know some type of delay, you know, compared to the 2024 date. But at the same time, I think uh, the uh, project, uh, you know, leaders seem to think that it was going to be fulfilled, which if that's the case, that would be brilliant. We've been waiting for this for a quarter of a century, to be quite honest. Yeah, very, very exciting news that they've reached the thousand days of construction. I know I've been going down to Ojibwe Shores and I walk through there, walk out to the water and taking pictures every three months or so of the towers going up and I'm looking forward to them starting to build the span and watching that and you know I'm really looking forward three or four uh, years from now when that thing is open uh, riding my bike from uh, from my home in South Windsor to Mexican town uh, not looking as much forward to the uh, bike ride back but um, but I am certainly looking forward to that being open. And the, the uh, bike and ride back is when you really need the bike ride. Well, to, yeah, it, to it, ride it, off it, all the fajitas there. Well, it, it, exactly. Although it, it might be a messy uh, bike ride back between the margarita <laughs> between the margaritas and the Mexican food. So uh, for for anybody that stuck around with our show for this long, there is a lovely image to close out your you evening go. with. Um, with, with, I think I'm going to leave it at that. And with that said, thank you for joining us on Windsor's Inside Pulse. Please like us on Facebook and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Stay safe, stay healthy, have a great week, and we will see you next time.